is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Your choices for food shopping shrinking. Kroger, which owns Ralph's, is merging with Albertsons. It's a massive deal that would create a mega chain of about 5,000 stores across the country. Now, this merger isn't without criticism. Union workers are saying it could create a monopoly that hurts workers and consumers. We'll go in depth. Still, no resignations from Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo from the Los Angeles City Council. We talk about how the council now moves forward or if it can move forward. And the U.K. economy is in a really precarious situation right now. The new prime minister trying to steady it, but her plans, well, they're not quite working out. Control of Congress might come down to Latino voters. We'll look at a new poll that shows they are warming up to more Republican candidates, but maybe not in California. Speaking of the upcoming elections, we'll look into close races and what the big issues for voters here in this state are. And if you use the thumbs up emoji at work, pay attention when you send it. Some of the younger workers, they say it's offensive. And uh, also watch out if you know someone who's cheating on their partner. Those same temptations might get to you, too. We'll explain the surprising findings of a new study. They find the thumbs up offensive? Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe they, think they think it's rude. Maybe they're thinking of the wrong finger. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, we'll find out. We start, though. How dare you send that to me? <laughs> we start though, with the big grocery chain merger. Joseph Welsh is with us. He's better known as Joe the Grocer, an expert in food systems and the supermarket industry. Joseph, thanks for being with us. So um, I've heard all morning different opinions, good, bad. Where do you come in on this merger if it, in fact, takes place? Well, I I see it for what it is. You know, uh, know, another day at the office for a a lot of people and – Typically, these mergers will go by just rubber stamped. This one concerns me, uh, not only because it's my industry, but we're talking about a monster organization uh, being created. And the ramifications could be devastating to independent grocers who uh, I advocate for. And food insecurity is going to be a... uh, Casualty. It's going to get worse uh, if this merger is allowed to go through uh, without the proper oversight. And I don't mean a few bureaucrats in Washington saying, "Okay, you're going to get rid of this store or this store. They need someone uh, who's a heavyweight, myself or or there are plenty of other qualified people to go in there to make sure that our most vulnerable neighborhoods aren't left without shopping options. You do think the appetite is there for that or the knowledge of, of that is there and, and this won't get just that rubber stamp that you mentioned? Well, I can tell you, um, as soon as I heard about this and lost my mind, I uh, uh, made a phone call to the FTC <laughs> and the, the Nevada Attorney General's office and um, you know, if anyone from the California AG's office is listening, I'm I'm available to you uh, to look at this. When they when they talk about uh, divesting themselves of you know anywhere from 150 to 400 stores, uh, we got to make sure which ones. Uh, we don't want uh, them in again vulnerable neighborhoods. We don't want to uh, exacerbate the problem of food insecurity. Um, and there's going to be the appetite 
uh, for that. They, you know, in the end, they work for the shareholders and maximizing shareholder value is what they're all about. So, Joe, that's then what you mean, because uh, I was going to ask you about that when you talk about your concerns about food insecurity. Your concern is that if this merger goes through, they will uh, downsize by eliminating stores in areas where uh, already it's difficult to find sometimes a supermarket. That's correct. Um, a lot of times, uh, chains are famous for this. They, they'll go into a neighborhood with all kinds of TI financing and tax abatements. And, you know, we give away the farm, uh, to bring them to the neighborhood. And as soon as it gets a little tough, we can't find the right help. No one wants to work. Everybody steals, you know, all of these, uh, typical excuses instead of good operations, they board up the store and that's it. So we've got hungry kids who might have to walk five or six miles to get a dozen eggs. And I have spent part of my career fighting this exact thing. And, uh, you know, I've reached my limit and I'm just not going to let them get away with it this time without crucial oversight. Joseph Welsh, better known as Joe the Grocer, expert in food systems and the supermarket industry. Right now, though, the uh, L.A. City Council was supposed to meet today. The meeting was canceled to avoid disruptions by protesters since Councilmen Gil Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon have not yet resigned following the racist remarks that were caught on tape by former Councilwoman Nuri Martinez. So will the pressure to have them resign fizzle or increase? And if they keep refusing to resign, what does the council do? With us to try to figure this all out is L.A. City Councilwoman Heather Hutt. Thank you for being with us. So what is the council going to do? Hi, how are you? And and thank you for having me on this afternoon. Um, We are going to continue to listen to our constituents. Uh, The council president has called for the resignation of the other two members, and we're going to listen to uh, our council president and the constituents who have also called for the resignation of the other members. Um, we're going to have a, a meeting soon, or I'm going to have a meeting soon with the council president, who is currently Mitchell Farrell, to understand our direction for next week. As it stands, we are having uh, a regularly scheduled meeting on Tuesday. Yeah. How do you think that's going to go? Because we know how the last one went. Uh, those two, the two that remain, came, but then were shouted out of the room. Um, can the council actually do business if, if they continue to show up? Or is it like some scenario where, you know what, you're going to have to put these guys on Zoom or something? We, we can do business without them um, being present because we'll have quorums. So I think that's important for everyone to know that without the three of them um, as a part of the council, we will still have quorum and be able to, to do business. Uh, remember on Wednesday, they did not show up. And it was the pain of the people that kept us from having our meeting. It wasn't because they were there. All right. So going forward, then, it provided that uh, Mr. Cedillo and Mr. DeLeon do not resign, say, by next week, uh, do you anticipate the council will then start moving forward with the city's business, but by Zoom, if necessary, or some other remote means? That's a possible option, but they certainly used it during the pandemic. So, you know, having business uh, using a, a a virtual method is a, is a possible option. Have you been able to speak with 
with either of them? We've heard from various members of the council and asked the same question and big answers, well, a little bit and maybe at the, at the meeting, but I've, I've called and I haven't gotten a response over the last few days. Where are you with them? Are you speaking about Deleon and Sadio? And Sadio, yeah. Have you been able to speak with them recently? Neither one of them have called to apologize to me. Remember, my name is mentioned in there and I am not a pawn. I'm a black woman here to, to represent the 10th council district. And they haven't apologized to me for any of the racist remarks that they made or for including me in some strategy that I had nothing to do with. I want you and all the listeners to know that I had a, a boutique consultant business when they had those conversations and had no connection, knowledge, any of that to do with what their uh, plan is. And they have not called to apologize to me. And I certainly haven't called to ask them what they're going to do. I was early asking them to resign. Are you surprised? Let me ask you, are, are you surprised how long this is dragging out? Would you have anticipated they would have sort of heeded the, the call earlier and step aside? I, first of all, I can't even understand any of this thinking. I can't understand the racist thinking. I can't understand the derogatory remarks, the offensive remarks, the homophobia. I can't understand any of that thinking. So if they are of the thought that they shouldn't resign, it just goes along with the previous thinking. So I don't understand it. Do you understand it? We do not. And I don't think a no. lot of people yeah. understand it, which is why there's been the outcry that we've had over, well, almost a week now. It's what, this was Sunday, I think? Last weekend. It's, it's Friday, right? yeah. yeah. So L.A. City Councilman Heather Hutt. Heather, thank you for coming on. Coming up, the midterm elections and which side takes control of Congress could come down to a few key races and issues. So we'll take a look into that and stay away from someone. If you know that they are cheating on their partner, it might have you thinking about infidelity. We'll explain that one. It's contagious. Uh, apparently so. All right. Uh, right now, tensions are At least grow. it's a good excuse. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, I caught the infidelity mm-hmm. yeah, bug. We'll see how that one flies. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, tensions growing inside the parliament in the UK. The prime minister, Liz Truss, uh, had this plan to cut taxes. Uh, that might be abandoned. She says she's trying to reassure the markets of the uh, fiscal discipline for the country. This comes as the economy there is getting shaky with inflation on the rise. With us uh, from London again, Jack Kessler, writer, columnist, author of the Evening Standards West End Final Newsletter. So, Jack, we wake up over here. We wake up over here sometimes. We see the tweets, and, and it looks like wow, things are not things are not going great over there. So, uh, give us give us uh, the sense that you have. You never come to when it's good news, do you? You never come when it's all going <laughs> swell in the UK. Call us on um, the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we've all, I'm sure you've had the experience, have uh, been to meetings, which really could have been an email. Um, and uh, Liz Truss gave a press conference this afternoon in the UK that really could have been an, an email in which she uh, uh, sacked her chancellor. So, um the uh, second most important minister who deals with the, the finances and announced that there would be a probably the 15th major U-turn from the budget only a few weeks ago. It's been um, a quite extraordinary few weeks in the UK. Is she going to survive or is it a, a possibility that her tenure as prime minister might be extremely short-lived? It's difficult to say purely in the sense that you know she's only been in the job for a little over a month um and conservative 
MPs look at the polls and think, you know, she can't possibly lead us into the next election. But on the other hand, um, can they have three leaders in the space of three months? Um, and they, they look completely ridiculous in that way, too. Um, either way, it is a very big problem for any political party when you keep sacking your finance minister and keep changing your leader. Well, you know, when you say three leaders in three months, I do keep thinking there is something to be said about variety. Someone will get it right eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, when you talk about how many U-turns there have been, like, okay, we've got inflation problems here, obviously. It, it's bad all over the place. But are like the banks and the financial people looking at all of this and going, well, you guys are just making it even worse. So the thing is, um, I mean, the problem really began when there was in the budget, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, a bunch of tax cuts, roughly 45 billion pounds and no way to pay for it. Uh, and the markets, who were already a little bit jittery, took a look at that and thought, hmm, we're going to have to start charging more for the UK to borrow. And so now there is, you know, there's a risk premium on all UK assets. Uh, and that's expensive, you know, as, as much debt as the United States takes on, you have the soft landing of the US dollar behind you. We have the uh, Great British Pound, which um, isn't what it used to be. It isn't even what it was worth a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, uh, and this has nothing to do with the prime minister, but uh, it's only been a very short time, of course, since uh, Queen Elizabeth died. Uh, how is the, as far as you can tell from your vantage point anyway, uh, how are things going in terms of the public mood now that that, that I presume the mourning period is, is sort of over? Yes, I mean, it, it seems odd to say that the country has moved on. It was such an enormous event. Um, but this crisis has been, this, this political crisis has been, sort of came straight on the heels of, of, of the Queen's death and the Queen's funeral, that um, it's really taken over. And I, I guess it speaks to the level of hysteria in Britain at the moment that um, you're the first person who's mentioned the Queen to me in, in huh. some time when people's mortgage rates are spiking and all of a sudden, instead of paying £400 a month, they have to pay £800 a month. Um, very quickly, it turns to other issues. From London, Jack Kessler. Jack, we promise we'll call you about something good sometime. Uh, writer, columnist, author of the Evening Standards West End Final Newsletter. We hear so much less about the king than we did the queen. Yeah, because I don't even see him on Twitter and stuff. Because like a, a lot of people there don't like him. Yeah. I mean, they don't. We know that. I mean, so, you know, there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's rich. <laughs> yeah, he, he's fine. He'll be just just fine. And he does have that crown. Very impressive. Yeah, it'll be all right. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Midterm elections in which party controls the House and the Senate could come down to Latino voters. New Washington Post-Ipsos poll finds Republicans gaining ground among Latino voters compared to the 2018 elections. Poll shows 63% of registered voters support Democrats, while 36% favor Republicans. But that gap is 13 points smaller than it was in 2018. Tim Rosales is a Republican strategist and a president CEO of the Rosales Johnson Agency. Tim, thanks for being with us. You know, it's interesting because only a short time ago, I think, there was conventional wisdom, right or wrong, that the Democratic Party had kind of a lock on Hispanic voters. Was that ever true? And if it was, it seems to be less true now. 
Well, I think in politics, you know, the lesson is that things change and they change from election cycle to election cycle and uh, over generations or decades. Uh, and what we're seeing now is particularly with issues like inflation. Um, in California, we have issues like homelessness and other cost of living type issues. Uh, we see things like crime and public safety, uh, particularly in the Los Angeles area. Those are issues that are particularly concerning to uh, Latino voters uh, and those who are, you know, living in, uh, you know, locations like, you know, uh, uh, you know, downtown Los Angeles, East Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, San Gabriel Valley. Those are top of mind issues. And so uh, not surprised at all that you're you're starting to see uh, Latino voters particularly uh, align themselves a little bit more with uh, a party that is talking about you know, those issues they feel in a substantive way. Does this apply here in California as much as some other states, or is this Latino voters that happen to be in red states or purplish states, not a total blue one like this one? Yeah, yeah, very good question. I mean, I think, you know, looking at California uh, and even looking at the Los Angeles area, you've got great examples of Latino Republicans that are elected, uh, one in the state legislature, uh, Suzette Valadares, uh, over in the San Fernando Valley, represents that area, uh, and uh, Mike Garcia, who is a Republican, represents uh, uh, Santa Clarita and Antelope Valley in Congress. Uh, and they're winning by pulling together, uh, you know, uh, bipartisan you know, groups of voters because their districts are primarily Democratic. And with that, uh, large groups of Latino voters that are, you know, uh, you know choosing them uh, as uh, someone that they want to uh, represent them. So what do Democrats have to say to kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess sort of sew up the deal, if you will, with with the Hispanic voters, as opposed to what do Republicans have to tell them, do you think? Well, I think the big thing for both parties is not is to think about Latino voters as not monolithic. Uh, it is not just, you know, one big group. Uh, it's multi-generational. Uh, it, uh, you have uh, voters who come from uh, you know, various uh, countries uh, with diverse political backgrounds, um, you know, Mexico, uh, you know, Cuba, South America, Central America, all of these locations are very diverse and different political backgrounds. And I think that too often both parties uh, tend to look at Latino voters as just a block. And, and well, certainly I think that there are uh, some you know, consistencies and similarities that you see, you know, uh, you know, throughout, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, voters are, those voters are very diverse and have, uh, you know, the way a, a, a Latino voter who is maybe third or fourth generation, you know, Californian, um, looks at, uh, uh politics and political issues is very different than someone who is a Latino voter and a first generation, uh, you know, Californian. Uh, you know, those dynamics, uh, I think, are something that are very important. And so for both parties, just don't look at uh, Latino voters, uh, uh, you know, all the same way. Are Democrats in trouble right now? Because if the pitch is like, hey, it's a mobility thing and, and we'll lift you up. Well, people look around in this economy or with this inflation, they say, well, that's that's not working right now. Well, I mean, you, you can say that, uh, you know, very clearly, you know, Democrats have been in charge. They've been in charge in, in California. They're right now in charge at the national level. And if and a lot of voters think that both California and at the national level, uh, things are on the wrong track. And the question is, is, you know, do they want to give, you know, Democrats another, you know, chance to fix it? Or are they willing to take a chance and say, okay, it's time for 
a little bit different approach uh, to some of these issues that are really important to us. Tim Rosales, Republican strategist, president and CEO of the Rosales Johnson Agency. The midterm elections are just a few weeks away. Control of Congress is at stake. Republicans are currently favored by most political experts to take the House back, but the Senate is a toss-up. And there are a few key races which will decide which way it swings. If you can't get enough of the politics these days, we've got what you need. Doug Sovereign's with us. He's the political reporter for KCBS Radio up in San Francisco. And he's got the new Odyssey podcast, The Home Stretch, which takes a deep dive into the midterm elections. Doug, thanks for being here. And uh, perfect name, right? Because we are in those final weeks. And you're going to take us right to it? Yeah. Hey, guys. A long time no see. Nice to, nice to be with you. Uh, yeah. Um, the home stretch. Uh, it is the home stretch of the campaign. We're in the final four weeks, as you said. Uh, and we're doing this limited edition, I guess you call it, podcast, national politics podcast, six episodes. Each week we look at a different issue and take people to a different swing state, a battleground state where that issue is really being highlighted. So, for example, the first episode uh, last week, I guess it was, seems like a long time ago now, but I guess it was just a week ago. Uh, we talked all about inflation and the economy through the lens of California, because we all know how much gas costs here, what inflation is like here. So we looked at the economic issues from the California point of view. And then we also did abortion in the second episode. And for that one, we, we really focused on Michigan, where, like here, abortion is on the ballot, but it's been more contentious there. And then the newest episode that dropped yesterday is all about the Latino vote, and that we focused on Texas. But again, each one of these episodes, although we, we sort of focus with the guests on a particular state, we, we sort of extrapolate what does that mean nationally. So obviously, each of those issues is very big in California and in most other states, uh, and not just in the state we're, we're focusing on. Has anything, Doug, really surprised you? Um, well, you know, immersed as we are in this day-to-day, um, no, not too much, not yet. Uh, the crime episode that we're doing for next week, focusing on Chicago, where you know violent crime has just been off the charts, is really fascinating to me. We have a wonderful guest from Northwestern who's really smart and, and just a terrific guest. I think people are going to really enjoy that episode if you can enjoy something about crime. Um, that one opened my eyes a little bit about just how bad things really are in that area. I mean, we think things are bad, uh, you know, here in Oakland, where I'm coming to you from, and throughout the Bay Area in L.A., but where do you hear what's going on in Chicago? But as far as, you know, what's happening in these midterms, um, no. I think we're seeing what we've expected so far with four weeks to go, a lot of enthusiasm and uh, an activation among Democratic uh, voters who are upset about Roe v. Wade. Um, whether that's enough to tip the balance in these congressional elections, I'm not so sure. I have a feeling uh, in, in the end, uh, you, you know, dis- discomfort about the economy may trump, so to speak, uh, some of that more than we think, but we'll have to see. You know, I was wondering about that. And I was going to ask you about that, because when that decision was overturned, that immediately became the line. This is what is on the ballot. But that was that was now it seems like forever ago. And there was always that 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 thought, OK, well, can it last all the way into November with the economy like this? Yeah, you know, I think it has, though. I think we, we all thought, well, that's June. Let's see where things are in November. There's no question that that intensity is still there. People are really motivated. I think we've seen that in special elections throughout the country that have happened since then. We saw that in Kansas with the abortion vote there. There have been some surprises uh, because so many suburban women in particular are turning out. The, the Democratic turnout is higher. I think they are sustaining that to November. Certainly the energy seems to be there, uh, just around emails I get and talking to people. But what is also happening is the economy did seem like it was starting to get a little better. Inflation was maybe coming down a little bit. Gas prices were coming down. And now we're seeing that go the other way. I mean, you know how much gas is costing right here in California right now. We're near 7 bucks a gallon here in the Bay Area. 
Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true everywhere else, but it, it's been stubborn in California. And the the economic indicators, the inflation numbers, the stock market, they haven't come back around the way they look like they might. So I'm just hearing and talking to voters on the street, there is a lot of discomfort about the economy. And I think that might be tempering that abortion-driven enthusiasm a little bit. That doesn't mean they're going to go out and vote for Republicans. But it, it, the trend that we were seeing before, I, I'm not sure it's rolling in quite the same direction with the same weight as it was four or six weeks ago. You know, in our last uh, segment, Doug, we were talking about the Hispanic vote and how uh, in the not-too-distant past, uh, Democrats always kind of presumed that they had a lock on the Hispanic uh, vote. Whether that was true or not is is questionable, but they often thought that. And what our guest was telling us is that that gap seems to be shrinking, that, that more and more Hispanic voters are, in fact, for a variety of reasons, leaning Republican. Is that sort of mirroring what you're finding in your series? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question of that. I mean, you can just look at, you know, Barack Obama got something like 71 percent of the Latino vote nationally uh, in 2012. Hillary Clinton, that dropped a few points to maybe 65, 66. Joe Biden, depending on whose numbers you look at, was around 60. So it's been a steady drop. And you look at a place like the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which we focus on in this week's episode of The Homestretch, uh, Republicans have won some seats there. And that's been a Democratic stronghold forever, running Latino Republican candidates. They are tapping into that. And there's no question that that what had seemed monolithic and to some extent taken for granted by the Democrats uh, is no longer the case. I mean, you've got some conservative uh, Latino families uh, who, who are responding to the Republican message. Uh, there's no question that that is not something Democrats can take for granted, and they need to reach out to that population. And in some of these swing districts, that could be determinative. I mean, whether they win or lose that seat may depend on this growing Latino turnout. It's the fastest growing segment of the population. It's a powerful segment of the population, and it's not universally Democratic. Now, most Hispanic Latino voters do still remain with the Democrats. I mean, you're talking, you know, at least 60 percent in most cases, uh, but it's not what it used to be. And in a close race, nipping off a few percent at the margins can make the difference if the Republicans can succeed in doing that. You cover a lot of politics up there in the city. You cover a lot of state politics, but it must have been fun this time to, to start jumping around to all those other states and talking to all those other people. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I tend to cover sort of national politics from a California lens and also statewide politics. And this week we had no choice but to cover L.A. City Council politics, of course. <laughs> but as what a month this week has been, right? Universe, oh, my God, yes. But, uh, yeah, it has been because um, I've lived in different parts of the country. I follow national politics, as I know you guys do, too. So it is interesting to dip into these places and, and um, find out what's going on there. We're still going to – we have Pennsylvania still on tap as we talk in a couple of weeks about election integrity which is a huge issue there, of course, a real battleground for it. And then the control of the House and Senate is where we'll wrap things up at the end of the series. But yeah, to go around to some of these other states and focus on, you know, Georgia and Wisconsin and uh, Arizona and Pennsylvania, it's fascinating. And frankly, those are where we have some very close House races, of course, in California uh, that could make a difference in the control of the House. But those other places are where control of the Senate is going to be determined and ultimately control of the House. And right now, looking at these races, I'd be very, very surprised if Kevin McCarthy does not become Speaker of the House instead of Nancy Pelosi in the next Congress. Doug Sovereign, KCBS Radio in San Francisco, and the new Odyssey podcast, The Home Stretch. Find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is KNX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Emojis can be easy. They can be fun. But you might want to think twice about sending a thumbs up to a younger co-worker. Turns out a lot of Gen Zers think that emoji in particular is rude, even hostile. 
One worker in her mid-twenties told the New York Post, if she takes time to write something, the least someone can do is write something back rather than use an emoji. A lot of older workers view it, though, as a simple positive acknowledgement. So does this show a big generational divide in the workplace? Alexandra von Tiergarten is the senior regional director with employment from Robert uh, Hall, half, which is whole. I said it twice, so if you have two halves, <laughs> two it's a halves whole. Two halves make a whole. <laughs> right. Robert half. It's the sister company. When you put them together. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole. Yeah, yeah Robert Hall. Uh, Alexander, thanks for being with us. Um, Thank you. So it, it, it does sound like, I don't know, like some people are being extremely sensitive, maybe overly so. Well, but you can see where they're coming from, right? If the response to a well-thought-out email is just a thumbs up, you do feel that there is some you know, dismissive tone. But on the other side, I think that our hiring managers and um, you know, managers in general have tried to be empathetic and flexible and more friendly you know, throughout the pandemic. And uh, so I think the use of emojis by perhaps the older generation um, is trying to connect with the younger generation. I wonder also if like the low 20s, like the Gen Zers use the thumbs up sarcastically anyways, like even when texting, oh, thumbs up. <laughs> Thanks for that. Whereas like maybe an older person setting the thumbs up might actually be like, yeah, thumbs up. Good. But then that that gets all mixed up when it's on a text screen or an email. Well, think about how often text gets mixed up in general. I think the the big thing that we took a look at in our research was how are these emojis seen in all sorts of different ways of messaging? And what we came up with is you know, to limit them, especially on email. There's a reason that emojis are readily available on your phone and not so easy with Outlook. But they may be fine in a chat where they, you know, they go and they bounce and then they go away, um, or they may be okay in a text message. But in emails, it may make you seem less powerful. Although, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I, I was teaching just a few years ago, and, and I would get from students all the time, they would submit papers that would have, you know, smiley faces at the end or other kinds of emojis, and they didn't seem to have any issues with that. I think they thought they were being kind of cute. Absolutely, but maybe they've just, you know, they're out of fashion with the youngest set today. So this just changing times. You know, you get older and it's like, what are the young kids doing? I can't even keep track anymore. <laughs> but I mean, well, and same- then also, do you know what the emoji means? Right. Make sure if you're going to put it, right. you know what it means and you know what every generation understands it to be. You know, the one with the little hands. I, yeah, this is radio. Yeah. So this is the worst example. But it's that face and it has the two little hands. Yeah. A lot of people use yes. that for like, here's some information that I don't know what to do with. That's actually when you type in hug. That's the one that comes up. So like that's the hug emoji, but nobody uses it that way. Right. Everyone uses it for I'm embarrassed. Yeah. Like here's this thing I'm telling you and here's my hands. So so (laughs) do we just need then a kind of generational guide to use of emojis? Just don't use them. (laughs) Perhaps it would be helpful. (laughs) Is it kind of like, you know, the same thing where, where you said how many times are text misinterpreted? Like you can write back like, cool, got it or cool, thanks. And someone can think that's super rude because it's short. Right. But maybe right. you're just in a hurry. Like when, if somebody writes to me, OK, or especially okay, what if it's period, what if it's just K? I don't like that. Yeah. Like just a letter K. That one, I feel all, that one's kind of aggressive. It's upsetting, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> give me more than just a letter. <laughs> Charles is laughing at me. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it seems like I'm mad, though. Or they're K mad. K seems like, like if, if you write something, it's in a way it's like just the letter K. 
Then because, I think like, what, what are you mad at me for? Right. So you have to do the K and the second K. Because, right? because, so wait, wait, the wait, wait, K wait. makes it like okay, it's okay. So, so you, so Mike, you, so you get upset if somebody well, writes K, but not okay. They have I, to I don't get upset. Okay? I'll think they're mad at me for something, right? Yeah. Like, why is why does just K? Like, it seems very like. Right. Ooh, did I make you? Did I make you mad for like, some reason? Okay, different from like okay, okay, a y different from just okay. Oh, okay. Oh. okay, a y seems like very business. Now like, we're getting now okay. we're getting okay. fa- now we're getting word. fancy. Yeah. <laughs> now okay we're seems like okay. Okay <laughs> seems like like a like and then this is K a professional for you thing. is the end of the road. Yeah, yeah. No, I, the end of the road. see, I think if someone spells out okay, they're they're being. I think that's kind of passive aggressive. They took the time because they took the time to write <laughs> okay. A, I I'm okay with just You're okay. okay. With, okay. <laughs> I, I am. I'm sorry. I'm I, I always know that this. my mother's upset at me when she goes okay. Period. Ooh, oh, the period. Because it's the period, right? That's what does the it. Period. It's the okay period. Yeah. Because she wants to have the final word, right? Okay, period. period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alexander, thank you. Alexander von Tiergarten, Senior Regional Director with the uh, employment firm Robert Half. We give her a thumbs up? <laughs> In a great, positive way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you're someone who wonders why people cheat on their partners in your study may have an answer. It's contagious, kind of. The study in the archives of sexual behavior found when people are exposed to another person's cheating, the study participant experienced less commitment to their current relationship and expressed a greater desire for alternative partners. Dr. Leslie Griffin, founder of Marriage Champs, which offers uh, performance coaching for couples across the country. Doctor, thanks for being with us. So what these uh, people in the study started to hear about what other people are doing, and they thought, well, maybe I'll try that too? I I believe so. That's what happens. Is it just like... I'm trying to understand, is this is this like just an excuse to get away with it for them? Or is it like, okay, well, maybe I wasn't really happy or they seem like they're happy you're doing this? Or, or what do you think is actually going on here? I think what's happening is that it's becoming more normalized. And so if you see other people doing it, then you think it's okay to do yourself. So you may have struggled with or contemplated um, cheating um, and having another relationship on the side. And if you see other people do it, then it doesn't make you seem as bad. And and I'm curious, uh, you counsel people, right? What, what do they tell you when they, what, confess that they're cheating? Do they say it's because, well, my, my best buddy, he or she's cheating too. So I thought, hey, I may as well do the same thing. No, absolutely not. Oftentimes, um, it is, well, you have kind of have two sets of, of people. You have people that, Um, kind of have a history and a pattern of cheating. And then you have other people who are in relationships and their needs aren't being met. And so that makes them vulnerable and it puts them at a greater risk or more likelihood that they are going to cheat um, because they are in a vulnerable state. So, so so yeah, you think a lot of these people are already sort of, and we'll use that word vulnerable to, to, to turning into cheaters. Yes. Um, More oftentimes than not, uh, you have people that are just in vulnerable states and then they end up cheating as opposed to, oh, everybody else is doing it. So when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So if it's sort of contagious, is there a way to prevent it? I mean, I don't know, wear masks or something like that. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the cheating bug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the key is that, you know, instead of the whole when in Rome, do as the Romans do, when in Rome, you have to go home. So if you don't surround yourself with people who um, are cheating or likely to cheat, then you're less likely to do it yourself because it doesn't make you feel like you're, sometimes when you are around people who are doing things that um, you deem is not right, 
eventually over time you start to think, well, maybe it is right. If everybody else is doing it, it must be okay to do. How many people have you had sitting together, though, that, that have maybe been through some of this or gotten close to the line who, who had that old phrase, you know, I, I thought the grass was greener, but then I figured out that, you know, what do I give up to, to get that? You know, it's totally it's a totally different thing. Maybe you, you have a fling, but then like you have this whole life over here that is now at stake. Yeah. And unfortunately, people don't think about that until it's too late. So they they go ahead and go on the other side thinking the grass is greener. And then they realize that maybe it's turf or spray paint. And then now when you try to go back to your partner, uh, you've done a lot of damage to the relationship. Do you think that this is something that's new or is it just something that has been going on forever, but now people are more apt to talk about it? Oh, it's absolutely not a new phenomenon. People have been cheating for I don't know how long. No, but I mean I the think, whole contagiousness thing. Oh, no. I think that we're saying that it's contagious because of um, like social media and things that you see. You can see it and you can access people more. You can, you know, slide in someone's direct message and, and hook up or there are just more ways for you to be able to cheat now. Are there more on the other side of this? Are there more also like actual talked through like open relationships where everyone's agreed like, hey, this is all right. Absolutely. But I don't think those couples would consider what they're doing is cheating. Do you think people see those, though, and go, well, I want that. And if they're not going to give it to me, then I'm going to go try it on my own. Um, Sometimes, but more oftentimes than not, they just look for people that are open to having an open relationship. Is therapy successful for this? Well, that's a trick question. It is successful for the people who are who have a common goal. So if one person in the relationship wants to have a monogamous relationship and the other person does not, then it's not going to work. But for the for, for two people who say I had, you know, I was unfaithful, but I don't want to do that anymore, then absolutely it can work out. Dr. Leslie Griffin, founder of Marriage Champs, offers performance coaching for couples across the country. Doctor, thanks. So a uh, editorial note here. So for the past uh, six years or so, Mike and I it's have long time. Long time have been doing uh, KNX In-Depth. Mike is going to the uh, mornings here in KNX or is going to be leaving In-Depth after today. And, you know, it's interesting, Mike, because we've had over the years a lot of emails and, and texts people think, Maybe we're like brothers or best friends. <laughs> when the truth is, we've never liked each other. <laughs> I mean, it's the greatest act. It's all an act. Broad- yeah, it's all an act. We've never. No, yeah. no, that's not true. Where's the like a TV Award Academy for the best <laughs> actors? Give us a statue. But but I I did uh, decide. You know, we've had this running thing for quite some time now because, as Mike, you know, I cannot stand kale. Oh no! And you love the thing. I don't love yes, it. Yes, you do. No, admit it. You do. I have. So, eaten kale before. Well, I have got yeah, now. The grocery it is, store it is, it is the first annual Simpson Kale Award. I've <laughs> Thank got, you so much. I've got, a, it. Yeah, got, got it. it. There you go. And every time you bite into that <laughs> bitter, vile vegetable, think of me. <laughs> that, that bitter taste. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's, been, it's been really fun. I was thinking all the things that we've done over the last, you know, five, six years now. And, and yeah, the interviews and big ones, they made a lot of news. But but some of the other stuff, I mean, when we called the space station. Yeah, that was great. And we had it? to go through, like, the actual, like, calling uh, ISS. You know, yeah. this is KNX. Do you read us? And they're like, <laughs> yes, we do. You're like, what? Yeah. And then that morning, like, it was like 845 on a Monday morning. 
and we're drinking vodka with Dan Aykroyd talking about Ghostbusters. That was really fun. Like, <laughs> yes, who gets it was. to do that? No, it, it, it's been really a blast working with you, and we'll do some other stuff together. What do you say we yeah. meet up in about three and a half weeks for election night? Oh, okay. Uh, B, you got, yeah, that, you got plans working, that night? Then, yeah, because it's working at night. I don't know. No, no, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do that. But uh, And and uh, we'll have other people here who will go into capable hands who will share the show yes. with me uh, going forward. But again, it's been uh, a real treat working with you on in-depth, and I wish you the best of luck in the morning. Oh, thank you. Multiple alarms will be set to get me out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pleasure working with you. The show will go on. Charles will be with you on Monday. And uh, thanks to all you for listening.